If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 to 21 in a moment. So there are Bibles underneath your chairs, so they're back, so the, that's an option as well. It should be projected for you online. And right, So we've been looking at this great book of Peter, and as we just sang, it's all about the gospel. Uh, it's all about the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And so the first 12 verses really of saying, look at what God has done for us in Jesus. You have received grace upon grace. You have, you have forgiveness because of what Christ did on the cross. You have a future because he rose from the dead. And, and he promises to walk with you, to guard you each and every day through that faith you started with. Um, yeah, until you, he meets you face to face. And so we're going to switch gears in the, in the letter. Peter says, therefore, right? Jesus rose from the dead. Now what? How, how then shall we live in light of the grace we've received? And, and so we're going to get a perspective on what, what the Christian life is all about. It's really helpful. Let's, let's read it. This is God's word uh, from Peter. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest, you could see him, in the last times, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And this is God's word, it is true, he's, he's spoken to us today in love, uh, we can trust him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray you would show us today the beauty of your holiness um, that we would be gripped by who you are and want to be like you. You promised in Isaiah that everyone now who follows Jesus walks on the highway of holiness. Um, that not even those who don't always know what they're doing uh, can get lost. Not even fools get lost. And so we thank you for that work of grace, that you give us the freedom to learn how to become obedient children, even as you claim us as your own. So help us today to trust more deeply in the work of your grace and your goodness in our lives and help us to see Jesus more clearly than when we first arrived. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So when was the last time you girded up your loins? Right? I'm pretty sure you've never been asked that before. <laughs> it's not a normal conversation. Right, in verse 13, and at least in, the, in the, the ESV, there's a little note that says, um, instead of preparing your minds for action, it's a, it's a Greek expression. It's just an ancient figure of speech. Right? Gird up your loins. 
Right, gird up the loins of your mind, because what it's, what it's trying to describe, right, in the ancient world, if you're going to go to battle, if you're going to run, if you needed to use your legs and, and do something strenuous, get out in the fields and maybe plow, you'd have to gird up your loins, right? Because everyone wore long robes, these long clothes that went down from, right, head to, to ankle, and so you would wrap them up with a belt and tie them around your waist, right? I mean, they knew what the NBA players knew in the 80s. If you had long robes, right, it was hard to move, so they wore short shorts, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the ancient version of short shorts. So you can get stuff done. Right? So Peter is using that great image of you're about to do something strenuous. You're about, to, you're about to go to work. But you're about to use your mind uh, to think about the gospel. Right? So he's saying, therefore, in light of who Jesus is, get ready to think about him. Right? See, becoming a Christian means you, you use your brain more than you did before in more strenuous ways, perhaps, than you ever did before. You become more human. You start to think, how do I love God with my mind? And think about him. Right? You think about the gospel. Right? And so he says, gird up your minds, and then I want you to be sober-minded, which is another great word picture. Right? Sober up in your thinking and I don't think Peter is necessarily referring to being drunk or some kind of substance abuse. Could be a clear implication, right, if, if it's affecting how you think. Uh, but part of what he's getting at is it's, it's a laser focus. You're not, you're not under the influence of these outside ideas. That the way you thought before Jesus, um, right, you weren't sober-minded, but now that you've met Jesus, it's time to be sober-minded and focus on him. Focus on the grace that will be yours when Jesus returns for you. All right, so you take those two words. Peter's jumping right, right into it here. Girding up the loins of your mind and being sober-minded, they're telling you uh, that following Jesus takes, takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of thinking. Uh, you don't turn your mind off when you enter into the life of faith. In fact, it turns it on in ways that you never knew were possible. Right. That, that following Jesus is not a minor renovation project. Right. I, mean, I know most of us come, we're, we're, we're seeking God because we've had some kind of need in our past and in our present, really. I mean, it doesn't go away. But it's usually something specific, right? Maybe it's guilt because you can't change. Maybe it's shame at not being good enough. Right? You don't measure up. Or maybe you're asking God for help to get you through some kind of trouble. But what what Peter is doing here, he's saying, this is who you are, and who you are is in the process of being made holy. And because you're being made holy, God's starting a major reconstruction project in you. You can't stay the same. That's the section of Peter. You're going to have your passions changed, what you love most because of Jesus. That's verse 14. Uh, your, your behavior, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, right? All that starts to change because Jesus is now your king. And you say, I want to please him. All right. We're part of this major reconstruction project. This is, this is going to get into chapter 2, but C.S. Lewis describes it really well. When he says, just imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing, right? He's getting the drains right that were plugged before. He's stopping the leaks in the roof. 
and so on, and you knew those jobs needing doing, right? I knew I'm not perfect, but that thing needs fixed. But then God starts doing something else. He starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts abominably, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what on earth is he up to? And the answer is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's, he's throwing out a new wing here, putting out an extra floor here. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage just to be at peace. But God is building a palace, and he intends to come and dwell with you and live in it himself. <laughs> Such a great picture, right? Be holy because the Lord is holy. This holy Lord is coming to live with you. And so that's going to change everything. Right? And so, what, what we want to do this morning is to say, what does it mean to be holy as the Lord is holy? How does that change the whole trajectory of where you are going as you follow Jesus? Right? I mean, you look at the text. Right? God loves us too much to say the same because he is holy. Right? Verse 16. As it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, because the Lord is holy. Right? I don't know what that word does in your mind. Right? I know holiness in our culture pro probably has a bad re reputation, because holy people don't sound like relatable people. Um, holy people sound like synonymous with judgmental people to the secular world. I mean, holy people sound like they're folks who don't want to have anything to do with people who are a mess, right? At least that's, that's the popular understanding. It can sound negative, but that's not how Peter uses the word. I want, this is my goal this morning with you, is right as we see what Peter's saying, that holiness and God's holiness becomes more good news in your life as he's training you to be like, be like Jesus, right? Because Peter, he says in verse 2, you were sanctified in the Spirit, right? You're in the sanctification of the Spirit. You are literally holied by the Spirit. You are holy now if you're a Christian. Right? So just let that sink in, knowing all of your, your bumps and bruises and all the, the flaws and failures, right? If you're a Jesus follower, you're, you're holy. You're sanctified. You're marked out as belonging to the Lord. And because you love Jesus and because you are holy and belong to Jesus, it keeps going. Holy people have an inexpressible joy. That's verse 8. Such an interesting thing to put together, right? Your, your holiness and your happiness in Christ go together. Do you believe that? That holiness is good news for you and for other people, for the world? To get there, we've got to start by seeing God is holy. And this is, this is Peter's goal. This is the center of this section of the, the text. Um, you have to learn to see God is holy. You have to sanctify him in your minds. Right? So what does that mean? Well, Peter quotes from the book of Leviticus. Right? He's always assuming you've, you're either being taught the Old Testament or you're familiar with it. It's okay if you're in process. Right? What he says is, it is written, be holy as I am holy. It's from Leviticus 11, 44, right? where it says, consecrate yourselves. Right? Zero in, focus on the Lord, commit yourselves to him, because be holy 
for the Lord is holy. So, right, if you're girding up the loins of your mind, what are you doing with your mind as you set your hope on, on the grace? Well, you're, you're called to seek out as holy. Right? What does that mean? Well, Leviticus 11.45 gets a little more specific, right? It describes who God is. It says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Right? So here's, here's God's holiness expressed, right? I'm your God. Everything I did as the holy God is to make you mine and, my, and make me yours. I know it's popular in, in to think of God's holiness as like as completely separating from us from a distance, and, and that is true. We're different than him. He is different than us. Right? He is pure. We're not. I'm morally flawed. He is infinite. We're finite. He is holy other. Right? When people see God's holiness, they're terrified because they know they fall short of who he is. But in Leviticus and here in Peter, God shows his holiness with his devotion. Right? I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am holy. I'm committed to you. God always shows his holiness with a shocking amount of commitment to self-centered, messed up, forgetful, unholy people. I mean, everywhere holiness shows up in the Old Testament, it's, it's God moving towards sinners, people who are a moral mess. And so part of what I'm hoping you get in your mind, that part of what holiness is after is showing you that God is wholly devoted, completely devoted, completely committed to his people to give us grace. Right, the expression in the Old Testament was, here's this people, Israel, they're in slavery in Egypt, they're oppressed, their life stinks, They've been, it's been awful for 400 years, but they're not perfect by any means. They too need to find refuge under the blood of a Passover lamb that has no spot or blemish. They needed grace. So God in his holiness brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, to bring them into the, the promised land. And Peter has that whole story in mind and now applies it to Christians to motivate our holiness, right? Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. How? By the precious blood of Christ, like that of, of a lamb without spot or blemish. Did you hear the similarities? Right. God is holy. He is wholly committed to his people and he shows you his holiness by sending Christ to die for you. You're saved by grace. It's good news. All right, and you can keep going. To see God as holy is also to see him as unique, right? He's, he's committed to you completely. Look at what he did with Jesus. But to other places in the scriptures, right, there's no one holy like the Lord. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2. There's none beside you. There is no rock like our God. There's no one like God. He is holy. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Right? They're celebrating it. 
Right? There's no one like our God. There's, there's a piece of holiness that's trying, if you're going to sanctify him as holy, set him apart in your mind, like this, this God is holy, part of what you're doing is saying, there is no one like this God. No one. Right? It's not that there are gods out there who are, are good, and there are gods on the other side that are just evil and grumpy, and gods somewhere on the scale further towards good. No, that's not how that works. There is no one like our God. He is holy. The God of the Bible is completely off the scale. He's in a completely other kind of being. He is utterly unique in all his ways. He is holy. Right? So think about it this way. You're going to sanctify God in your mind. He is holy in his love. Uh, it, his love is steadfast. It endures forever. Um, because his ways are not our, our ways, he doesn't explode in irrational anger the way humans do. Right? That's what he says in Isaiah 55. I will abundantly pardon. Right? No God forgives the way God forgives. He's holy in his wisdom. He's working out all things for the good of Jesus' people, even working through great evil, that even when I don't understand what he's up to, I can trust that he is, in his wisdom, using this moment for my good. He is holy. He's holy in his power. Right? He's able to raise people from the dead. Um, He's holy in his goodness. He's morally pure. All that he does is good, right? I mean, part of what we're called to do here by Peter is to see God as wholly committed to us and to see that there is no one like him. And because there is no one like him, I want to be like him. Because God is holy and has ransomed us to belong to him, now let's respond to that grace by being committed to Jesus. So, said a lot of things, right? I tried to give you an overview of holiness from the Old Testament because Peter just imports it and drops, drops one line and expects you to connect the dots. Right? But here's the idea. If God is holy, right? we're, 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 as Christians, we're called to be obedient children. We want to be like our holy Father in heaven. I want to be like God when I grow up. That's the trajectory. Be holy, for God is holy. Right? So how, how is that process going? Do you know how to sanctify or how to hallow God in your thinking as holy, right? That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right. This is really the secret to change, to, to, to God-centered change. Right? Until God is hallowed as holy in your life and in your mind and in your heart, in your affections, in your desires. Um, it just becomes an idea, right? One option among many, but not a, not a moving power in your life. Right? I mean, I think every Christian kid can relate to this. I mean, when I was growing up in the church as a pastor's kid, I heard all these words, right? Holiness, grace, Jesus died for my sins but it didn't have any everyday impact on my life. I still did whatever I wanted. Right? But at some point, the penny dropped. And it was a combination of seeing Jesus dying for me when I was, and I knew I was a mess and couldn't fix myself. 
But part of that was all of a sudden seeing that God is holy and these are the words that matter more than any other words in the universe. Sanctifying him in my mind, which melted my heart because he sent Jesus to die for me. So you can't change until you see God as holy. Here's here's an example. We've all dealt with anxiety in various ways in the last year. What does Jesus say to those who are anxious in Matthew 6? One, he says, are you thinking? Are you looking at the world? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober-minded. Think about who God is and what he's doing, right? He says, don't you know that your heavenly Father takes care of the birds? These birds who don't sow, they don't plant fields, they don't have a 401k, right? If... If God provides for these who don't prepare for the future, how much more will your Father in heaven provide for you who are of more value? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. You have a holy Father. That's what Jesus is after with your anxiety. Look at him. There's no one like him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. That's, That's... that's sanctifying the Lord in your mind type language. He rises from down here, just ordinary life, muddling, doing, he's, he's an option on the bookshelf, say, here's my self-help section, to, no, I'm going to, he is at the top of the priority list. This is the only place I can go. He has the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? Right. He rises up in importance when you seek God as holy. Have you had that experience? Right, so if God is holy, holy committed to us, holy other, there's no one like him, the therefore is, right, be holy. And I think at its core, what Peter's after, and the whole Bible's after, is right, we're being remade in God's image to want to be like him, to be obedient children, in verse 14, in a world that is hyper-distracting. Right? We have all kinds of former passions, passions and things we cared about before we met Jesus. And now that we've met Jesus, we need to be laser-focused uh, to figure out how to obey, d- despite all those things that are still distracting. Right? Don't be conformed by the things you cared about before you knew Jesus. Uh, you've been ransomed from these futile ways that were inherited from your forefathers, right? There was a whole way of living life before you met Jesus that was taught by your parents, that was taught by your culture, that was taught by just the world in which you live that are futile, useless, to help you change. So we have to learn how to be holy. Right? And it is a battle. This world is distracting. Right? Because everybody, right, we all have these these passions that are controlling us. So I heard uh, an interview, and I think I've used this illustration before, that illustrates what this is like, the, these futile ways of trying to, to be different in a culture that all acts in a particular way and thinks in a particular way. It was an interview by Mike Wallace. Uh, this is in 1983. He was interviewing a survivor of the concentration camps, a guy named Yehiel Denur. All right, and... And Wallace showed a video clip on the, the 60 Minutes of the Nuremberg trial, specifically Adolf Eichmann, 
who was on trial for his part of orchestrating the Holocaust. All right, and in this scene, uh, De Niro walks into the courtroom to, to come face to face with the man who oversaw his suffering. Right? He was in Auschwitz for two years, oversaw his personal nightmare. Right, at first sight, De Niro, that's right, it says, you could see, but he began to sob uncontrollably. He fainted. He collapses in a heap, right? This is just a big drama courtroom scene as everyone's freaking out. The, the, the judge is pounding. They're trying to get order in the courtroom. And so Mike Wallace says, okay, here's the scene. We saw what happened. Janur, right? Yehiel, what were you thinking when you saw Eichmann? This, this, you know, in our mind, we'd say that horrible, horrible man. <laughs> were you overcome by hatred, by fear? by the trauma. And you know what he said? He said, I realized at that moment that Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He was an ordinary man. And this is me editing, adding into it. A guy who had inherited the feudal ways from his fathers, who was controlled by the passions of his former ignorance. You know what he said? He said, I was afraid about myself. I am capable to do exactly what Eichmann did. I'm like him. Of course, Wallace hauntingly ended the interview with those, those words, Eichmann is in all of us. Can you imagine that being said today? See, part of what that illustrates, Eichmann was German and was just in this, this cultural place and he had... He had no way to step out of <laughs> what the culture was teaching him, right? He was, that's what he said. He just didn't say no to those passions. Holiness, allegiance to Jesus, never pl- takes place in a vacuum. It always takes place in the midst of a world that has all kinds of ideas and all kinds of beliefs. Eichmann's in all of us. It doesn't take much to get an idea from out there and to run off and do all kinds of horrific things because we never stop to think, right? what does God think about this? Right. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. Every single human being is capable of great evil and great good for all kinds of self-serving reasons. To be like Eichmann, I mean, it's to thoughtlessly absorb whatever the world, whatever our parents, whatever the culture is telling us to do. Just going with the flow, not thinking. So this is part of the the command to be holy. Peter is saying, look, you have inherited ways of thinking. You have patterns. You have loves. You have beliefs that you've never questioned. And now Jesus is going to come after them. Don't live by those. Live for Jesus. Because... Think about it. What do you have in your life? This is how my family's always done it. And you don't know it's weird till you get married. <laughs> uh, right? Or you say, this is American, right? This is, this is just how people live. This is what love is. And right? everybody thinks that. Why would I think differently? Right? See, part of following Jesus is to no longer swim downstream thoughtlessly with the culture. Holiness is now the goal. I mean, maybe it's for the first time for some of us, right? For the first time, you're saying, 
Is this an obedient act to Jesus? What does God say about that? <laughs> that's, such a, that's a holiness question. What does my father think about that thought, that belief, that action, that judgment, that critique? Are you holy? Are you on that trajectory? Do you have that desire? You know, it's interesting in our culture and trying to figure out holiness, uh, there's a, a poll that Gallup just came out with. They're trying to understand why in, a, in our country people are just leaving the church so quickly. And it's, it's young people, right? Membership has dropped rapidly in the last, membership in the church rapidly in the last 10 to 20 years. And here's what they found, that there are loads of young people who grew up in the church, who knew about Jesus, who read the Bible, they could memorize scripture, they go off to college and never come back to church. Why? You know, and the, the, the cynical part of us would say, ah, oh, well, they just want to do what they want, they want to go off and party and break all the commandments, right, for immoral reasons. And that's not what the research showed. A lot of young people are leaving the church because they don't believe that the church actually believes what the Bible says. Isn't that interesting? It's a quiet exodus of young people who are seeing hypocrisy and a lack of holiness in the church. Right? To, to be holy, for I am holy, to do that in the presence of other people, which is where Peter's going to lead us eventually. Right? It's, it's, it's starting to show you this is about more than just me. It's about more than just you. This is a community. Right? That holiness, to love what God loves, to love like God loves, to show compassion, to, to show forgiveness for someone who harmed you, which is to be holy as God is holy. Right? That's good news for a world that's longing to see somebody who actually believes this stuff. I said, this is, this is hard work. That command to be holy for I am holy is, comes down like a full, the full weight of heaven down on earth. Right? So are you on the highway of holiness? Do you think about the gospel? Do you, are you working to be different, to apply your thought life, your behavior, your desires, how you spend your time? Right? Do you think about Jesus and what he would think? Right? If so, Peter says, if you call on this God as Father who is holy, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, which is this life, right? to the time you are strange in the culture around you. Right? Conduct yourselves with fear. Live differently. So, here's one way to be holy as God is holy. There's one way I think you can read this. How does God judge? Impartially. He doesn't play favorites. <laughs> he doesn't grade on a curve. I mean, there's a lot of conversation in our culture about this, right? Of talking about prejudice, talking about racism. They're talking about partiality and how that affects everyday life. See, if you want to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy, learn how to see the world impartially. That's what James would say. There should be no partiality among you as those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So, some ways to think about that. Do you get just as worked up 
over your political others' failures as you do about those who think like you. Right? That's impartiality. It's wrong across the board no matter who does it. Right? Or even more personal, this gets into your home and your everyday life, do you get just as angry or bothered over our failure to listen to what a loved one's telling us we haven't done as we do with their failure to not listen to us? Right? That's impartiality. Of course not. <laughs> right? Be honest. We're, I'm not that impartial, but yet, here's what Peter's saying. This is a trajectory. I call on God as Father. He loves me. Who judges all things impartially and as obedient children. I want to be like him. Welcome to the world of holiness. It's way above what we're able to do by our own strength. Right. To be obedient children. Right, so what does it mean to conduct yourself with fear? This is part of being holy. I think it's, it sounds strange because we've been trained. I know I've been trained from a kid. Don't be afraid of God. There is no fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Right, what is Peter after? And I think it's just this big idea as you care what your heavenly Father thinks about your behavior. Right? The fear of the Lord is actually good news. It's, a, it's a, an affection word. Right? I care most about what he thinks. He's my father. Right? I'm, Jeremiah 32 promised this. This is how God's people were going to live. It says, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart, one way. How? That they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of the children after them. I'm going to make them an everlasting covenant that I will never stop doing good for to them. And here's God. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so they will not turn away from me. And then I'm going to rejoice in doing them good. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I want you to be afraid of me, but be afraid of how good I'm going to do to you <laughs> and be to you. Right? See, the good, the, to fear the Lord during your exile is, yeah, to recognize God's going to hold you accountable the way he holds everyone else accountable. He's, he's not going to play favorites. But to, to, to believe in the fear of the Lord, to conduct yourself with fear during the time of exile, is to notice that he's there. And, and he's for you. And you're afraid of how much he loves you. <laughs> and you want to obey him. Right? That's how Jesus processed it. It says in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord was going to be upon the Messiah, the Christ. And this spirit would be the spirit of those who delight in fearing the Lord. Jesus' delight was to be afraid of his father. So that doesn't sound right. Joy and fear. How do those two things go together? Well, he's, his delight was to do his father's will. He was holy as our father is holy. So if you're in exile, right, we're strangers in a strange world because we want to do what God says because we care what he thinks about and we're controlled by how much he loves us. Right? And so the trajectory of holiness is in an increasing desire to please your Father in heaven. Right? Do you sense that in your own being? 
That's what holiness is about. I belong to him, and now I want to grow in that belonging. Verse 18 continues, and this is how we'll end here. Right? So if God is holy, that, that's, that's hard enough to live up to, be wholly committed to him who's wholly committed to us, um, to sanctify him in your mind. And we're also on that trajectory of being holy, of trying to become like him, of growing in holiness. What's your motivation? How in the world do you do this? Don't forget the therefore. How in the world can you do that? Become, a, become like God. According to Peter, the only reason you can do that, it starts in verse 3, you have been born again. Become his child by grace through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Right? And your motivation to keep going, right, is, is knowing that there was this way you used to live, but now you know Jesus. You're ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with money, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was perfect for you, who was holy for you. He was without blemish or without spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This, this guy is eternal. This is the, the second person of the Trinity, but he came, he was made manifest in the world, in the last times, for the sake of you who believe. Right? It's amazing. Hey, conduct yourselves with fear. Why? Because look at what Jesus has done for you. You were ransomed. You were valued because God was willing to spend what was valued to him most, the precious blood of his son, Christ Jesus. So what does it take for you to care more about the gospel and what your father thinks, to care more about what your father thinks more than anyone else in the world? You've got to look at how Jesus thought of you, who for your sakes became human and lived a life of holiness so that Christ in me now makes, I belong to him. He became human to die for those who believe. That's the secret. (laughs) The secret to holiness is seeing how wholly devoted God is to us, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what makes me want to keep going. To see Jesus judged in my place so that I might be holy and blameless, without spot, in him. I'm holy. I don't deserve it, but I'm... Jesus died, suffered, was rejected so that I might be a son of the Father. To be loved by Jesus' Father. His Father is now your Father. So, how, how does that affect how you live? Well... Remember what it was like to be, well, to be a kid and have your parents control what you watch on TV, right? Did anyone have shows that your parents said you can absolutely not watch that because it's evil (laughs) or whatever justification they gave it? Um, I remember what it was like. We had rules for our TV and we had shows and channels you just were supposed to avoid. And so when mom and dad would leave the room, what did you do? You automatically turned on that channel. Right? I know I'm not the only one who did this. <laughs> I can see at least smirks beneath the masks. Right? But when Dad entered the room, what did you do? Quick change the channel. Thank God for that previous channel button <laughs> so you don't get busted. 
And then he left the room again, and you go back to what you're watching. See, what Peter wants us to be afraid of, this whole section, he's saying, look at how loved you are in Christ, and now you have a controlling fear. The holiness of God, so that when your father leaves the room, so to speak, he doesn't because he's, he's the judge of all things, right? You actually think about what he thinks. It changes your behavior. You're controlled by what your heavenly father thinks of you. It's astounding. It's the same father who caused us to be born again into this living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. See, God is that good. So when you leave the room today, right, this is what we're all going to experience, and you're going to go home, right? It's not like your heavenly father has left the building. He's, he's, he's the God, he's the, 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 the impartial judge who's going to judge all things, but you can go leaving here knowing that God is pleased with you because of his son. And if you thought of us in his holiness, the call is to respond in kind, to commit ourselves to him, to be holy because the Lord is holy. Let's pray. Father, there's a a lot here, and I pray that what was true and helpful would be uh, buried deep into our hearts and change the way we live, that we would see Jesus uh, loving us even to death on a cross in order to make us holy, and now we are on the same journey he is, um, the path of obedience that, that he blazed for us. And so I pray for those who don't yet know Jesus, they would be staring at the cross and saying, what does that mean for me, how loved I am? Um, How much hope do I have now that Jesus has risen from the dead? And I pray for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, um, that we would recommit ourselves to being a holy people, a people who are good news for a world, who are dying to, to be loved as we have been loved in Christ. So make us, make us holy even more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.